Well, good morning once again. Happy Sabbath. And we are continuing in our series from the book of Acts. And as we begin, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus is about to go to the cross, and before he leaves, he gives this foreboding, or it's not foreboding, it is actually a promise of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. In your bulletin, there should be a study guide, which is an outline of today's sermon, and I want to encourage you to pull it out and follow along with our message this morning. I have this text on the screen, and you can see that Jesus said that he is leaving, but says that this is to our advantage that he leaves. He says, look, I'm going, but this is actually advantageous for you because if I go, I'm going to send you the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Now, why is it to our advantage that Jesus leaves and sends the Holy Spirit? And this is from Desire of Ages, page 669. The Holy Spirit is Christ's representative, but divested of the personality of humanity and independent thereof, cumbered with humanity, Christ could not be in every place personally. Therefore, it was for their interest that he should go to the Father and send the Spirit to be his successor on earth. No one could then have any advantage because of his location or his personal contact with Christ. By the Spirit, the Savior would be accessible to all. In this sense, he would be nearer to them than if he had not ascended on high. The reason why it's to our advantage that Jesus goes to heaven is because in the incarnation, when Jesus became a human being, and for eternity, Jesus will retain the human nature forever. Forever. That's a whole other sermon, but just to wrap our minds around the thought that Jesus will be human forever. One member of the Godhead, connected with humanity forever. Jesus came to this earth, took on himself the human nature, and divested himself of one important attribute of what it means to be God, omnipresence, the ability to be everywhere at once. So when Jesus went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit so that through the Spirit, the presence of Jesus could be with us wherever we might be. Amen? The Holy Spirit is not only with us, but the Bible indicates that the Holy Spirit is also in us. 
That is how Christ is in us. Through the Holy Spirit, He can abide within each one of us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, and by this we know that He, Jesus, abides in us. How do we know that Jesus abides in us? By the Spirit whom He has given us. So this is how Jesus can be in us and with us. It is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will bring the presence of Jesus into us. So when we ask for the Holy Spirit, we are asking also for the presence of Jesus to be with us and in us. And how many of you want Jesus in us? I do, amen? And it is through the Holy Spirit, and that's why it's to our advantage. Because when Jesus went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, who is not confined to humanity and can be everywhere and within everyone who desires his presence. He's not limited by space. He can be everywhere and in everyone who invites his presence to be with us. The Holy Spirit is so essential for living an empowered life. When we look at the book of Acts, we see that the Holy Spirit is described in certain terms. And there are many more texts like this, but I've just put a sampling of three here, and I want to read them to you. First, not First John, Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 13, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Do you see a theme emerging here? The Bible indicates that the Holy Spirit can fill an individual. I looked it up in the original language, and this has a metaphorical implication that human beings are not only physical, not only emotional, but we are spiritual beings. We are like vessels that have the capability of being filled with another spirit. I was at a camp meeting a number of years ago. And there was in the teen tent a young man that entered the gathering and he was filled with a different spirit. And it wasn't the Holy Spirit. He was demon-possessed. It was very clear that there was someone else within this individual and so the pastors gathered around and prayed for deliverance and the demon went out of that young man and went into a Bible worker. So the pastors gathered around and prayed over that Bible worker and he was delivered and later on he confessed that he knew the reason why the 
demon had access into him. We are spiritual people, vessels that have the potential to be filled with another spirit. I was working in Los Angeles as a Bible worker, and different individuals would wander into the tent after the meeting, meeting, and we gathered together in a circle to pray. We went around, and the gentleman to my right was a visitor, and he started to pray, and he said, Lord, please get these demons out of me. And when he said demons, his voice dropped about two octaves, and it was a different voice that was speaking. And I just, oh, just cringed and said, Lord, please. Now, there are individuals that are skeptical about demon possession, but look, I was there. And I can tell you, these things are real. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is an invisible reality that is out there that we cannot see, a spiritual reality that we can't see. And it is as real as x-rays and gamma rays and Wi-Fi, all of these things we believe, but we can't see them. In the same way, there is a spiritual reality that is around us, and we are vessels that can be filled with different spirits. Now, it's not my intention to give you the EBGVs here this morning and, and for our Sabbath message, because the good news is, if we invite the Holy Spirit in, The Holy Spirit brings with him the presence of Jesus, and when the devil comes knocking, Jesus meets the devil at the door and says, look, no vacancy. Amen? Amen? Occupied. And that's what we need to be. And the book of Acts shows us that we have the potential to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does a Spirit-filled life mean? look like? When you look in your study guide, you'll see that the Bible differentiates between three groups of people in respect to their personal relationship with God. First group, the group that is exemplified in the book of Acts, the first group, full, real relationship. The Bible calls this a spirit-filled Christian. Individuals that have consented to invite the Holy Spirit to occupy our spiritual vessel. And you can read about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. The person that walks in the Spirit. Now, there is a visible reality that we can see because the Spirit is invisible, but there are certain evidences that the Holy Spirit has filled an individual. And you can read this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We have any gardeners here? 
Notice that the Bible uses this metaphor of fruit. I have an illustration even on the screen. So these are the fruits of the Spirit. They are the visible manifestations of who is within us. The Spirit is invisible, but if we have the Spirit, we will manifest these external evidences, these characteristics that we are Spirit-filled. How many of you can use more patience? I can. How many of you can use more peace? How many of you can use more kindness and self-control? Oh, man, I can surely need that. So these are all things that are the natural byproduct of a Spirit-filled life. And ground zero for having these wonderful virtues is to invite the Spirit to fill us. And the most frustrating thing for a Christian or a person that desires these fruits is to try to manufacture them without possessing or being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is incredibly frustrating and, quite frankly, depressing to try to be a kind, loving, joy-filled person if we have not invited the Spirit in because these things are the natural byproduct. What is it, everybody? The byproduct, the, the result of inviting the Spirit in. And these are the external manifestations that we have the Spirit of God within us. So the foundation of being a lovable and loving person is to invite the Spirit in, the Holy Spirit, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In that same chapter of Galatians 5, it tells us that there are also other fruits that are manifest. They are not fruits of the Spirit. They are fruits of the flesh. And I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We've just read Galatians 5.22 where Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, the natural byproducts of living a Spirit-filled life. And in Galatians chapter 5.19, the Bible says, shows us what are the fruits or the works of living apart from the Spirit. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, evil, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
The Bible tells us that just, is, just as having the Spirit within us will have certain visible manifestations, that in the same way, the absence of the Spirit will exhibit itself in a certain way. And the Bible calls this, as we come to our second group, the individual that has no relationship with God, the Bible calls this the natural man. In other words, this is not a person that is demon-possessed. This is a person that has simply not been filled with the Holy Spirit. That if left to our own devices and our own human nature, we will exhibit certain characteristics. This is natural. When you have a baby, you don't have to teach that child to be selfish. He just knows. It's natural. This is the way that we are wired because of the fall and because of sin. This is not talking about demon possession. This is talking simply about the absence of the Spirit. The absence of the Holy Spirit abiding in us will exhibit itself in certain visible manifestations. We just read this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It says, the works of the flesh, in other words, the fruits of the flesh, are evident. And notice that not all of these things are just abhorrent. Some of them may be more so than others. Murder, ooh, sorcery, oh, but look at some of these other things. They are more ubiquitous. They're more common. They're more prevalent. Hatred, wow, contention. Jealousy. You ever been jealous? Outbursts of wrath. You ever have one of those? Ooh. Selfish ambition. Dissension. These are common, prevalent. The Bible is telling us that these fruits, these evidences, these manifestations are natural for the individual that has not consented to have the Holy Spirit within us. This is an individual that is not filled with the Holy Spirit. As we come to the natural man in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Notice that the natural man does not have the Spirit of God. Not only this, but there is something in the natural man's epistemology. Let me think of a better word than that. There is something in the natural man's ability to know spiritual things. This affects spiritual perception. In other words, the natural man that is absent of the Spirit of God is not able to perceive and understand spiritual things. And the key to understanding the Bible, which is Holy Spirit-inspired, is to be filled with the Spirit the Holy Spirit. That is the key. The Bible is not like geometry and calculus. In order to understand a spiritual book, we must be a spirit-filled person. That is what the Bible is telling us. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. 
So ground zero for understanding the Word of God is to be filled with the Spirit. That is the reason why a natural man will look at Scripture and see nothing but contradictions and conundrums and inconsistencies, but a Spirit-filled individual will read the Bible and see wonderful coherence and harmony. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? They're foolishness. Have you ever talked to someone about the Bible and they are not spirit-filled? What does the Bible look like to them? Foolishness. Absolute nonsense. Yet someone that is open to the Spirit can read the same Scripture and see Jesus and see harmony. We come to our third group that the Bible describes And this is an individual that has a divided relationship. The Bible calls this the carnal Christian. The carnal Christian. Now, it seems like an oxymoron, the carnal Christian. Now, as I did this study and as I researched, this was a new paradigm for me because I naturally assume that our world consists of individuals that are spirit-filled on one side and then those that are the natural man that have the absence of the spirit on the other side. But the Bible indicates that there is actually a third group here in the middle that is kind of in between the spirit-filled Christian and the person that is absent of the spirit. This is a person that is a carnal Christian. Now, this is not a term that I have made up, but Paul says this to Christians in the first century, Christians in the church at Corinth. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to what? Carnal. He's talking to Christians. As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Four times, Paul calls Christians in the church as being carnal. In other words, they are not spirit-filled. They are not the natural man having the absence of the spirit, but they are in this nebulous halfway zone of being a carnal Christian. In other words, they have the profession of being spirit-filled, but they exhibit some of the characteristics of the natural man. Notice some of the characteristics. Envy, strife, and divisions among you. This is an individual that has the profession of being spirit-filled, but they exhibit the characteristics of the natural man, a carnal Christian. And this is the most difficult place to be. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just lukewarm. Halfway in between these two realities. Do you remember the parable that Jesus gave of the ten virgins 
that are waiting for Jesus. These are all Christians waiting for the bridegroom. They all slept. Then they got up. And the difference between the five that were ready and the five that were not, do you remember the difference? What did that have to do with? The oil. The five that were ready were filled with oil. They had topped off the vessel. They had filled it to capacity so that in the delay, they did not run out of oil. The other ones, ones were Christians that had not filled themselves with the Spirit. The five virgins that had not filled themselves with the Spirit are synonymous with this middle group, with the lukewarm, with the individuals that have the profession but not the characteristics. They are halfway in between these two realities. And as a pastor, as I reflected on this message, I would say sermon preparation can be a very painful experience in more ways than one because I'm preaching to myself. And as I was meditating and reflecting on this, I realized that there have been times when I've gone into situations and circumstances and I have not been spirit-filled, but I have been a carnal Christian. You following me? I have exhibited characteristics that are not of the fruit of the Spirit, but are of the natural man. And as I realized this in reflection on my own Christian experience, that there have been times and circumstances when I have related to people and individuals, and I have not come from a spiritual paradigm, but I have come from a carnal paradigm, that the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart and say, before you commune with men, you must commune with God. Amen? Before you endeavor to give, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I praise God that there is grace through all of this. Amen? There is mercy in our Christian experience. And I invite you to open your Bibles to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. This is the church of Laodicea. And here, the book of Revelation describes these three groups in a different term or different terms. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. You see that? Neither spirit-filled or the natural man. You are neither cold nor hot. So then because you are what? Lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. So here the Bible is describing the same thing with a different 
uh, analogy, you have hot, the spirit-filled. You have lukewarm, the, the, the individual that is of a, of a divided heart, the carnal Christian, and then you have cold, the natural man. And the church of Laodicea is comprised of lukewarmness, carnality, the profession, but lacking the characteristics. And the scariest thing about being a carnal Christian I have found from personal experience is that you can be self-deluded. That is the fatal deception about being right here. Is that you can actually think that you are a spirit-filled person when in actuality and in reality you are a carnal Christian. You can think that you're a hot Christian, but you're actually a lukewarm Christian. You can see this in the council to the church of Laodicea. Look in the next verse, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, the Bible is using this analogy of an individual that is naked, that is absolutely naked. And the thing is, not only does he not know he's naked, that's one thing, but he actually thinks that he is clothed in a suit. That is the challenge. An individual that is so disconnected from reality and their own spiritual perception that they think that they're actually over here. I mean, we call this today what? Insanity. Right? I mean, what do you call a person physically that is outside absolutely naked? Not only do they not know that they're naked, but they think that they are dressed perfectly. Self-deception. And so the solution for Laodicea and lukewarmness is the Bible says, look, I want to give you eye ointment so that you can see so that you can see that you are naked. Oh, I need clothes. That is the epiphany that God wants to give us, the self-awareness so that we can go to him for help. It is a startling thing in our Christian experience to recognize where we are actually at. Now, the best promise when you look at the seven churches goes to the Laodicean church. Amen? Praise God. Praise God for that. Because the best promise is actually the solution for an individual that is lukewarm. And we find it in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will what? I will come into him 
and dine with him and he with me. So notice that the solution for being a spirit-filled Christian is the invitation to invite Jesus to do what? To come in. And how does Jesus come into us? It is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is bringing with him the presence of Jesus. This is how he comes in. Now, I, for a number of years, sold books door to door. I told you stories about my canvassing days for my days in high school and college. I sold uh, these uh, MAGA books and some of the Bible story books to uh, pay for my education. And I have literally knocked on thousands of doors, thousands, all over the country. Arkansas, Tennessee, I mean, just and New England, California, Florida, all over the country and the lower 48. And you learn something very quickly about protocol at the door. When someone opens the door after you've knocked, there is a certain unspoken protocol for how you engage the other individual that is inside. I don't just duck my head as soon as they open the door and step inside. You're on dangerous ground, especially in Alaska here, right? That is called unlawful what? Entry. Ah, so I learned this very quick. And there was a line that I would never cross because I respect the other individual. And people would come to the door, they would open the door, they would smile at me. Some of them would even give me money. Imagine that. And food. And sometimes water and drink and all types of things. The nicest things. Some of them would say the nicest compliments to me as a, as a young man, as a teenager that was selling books. But it didn't matter if they gave me money. It didn't matter whether they shook my hand and smiled. It didn't matter none of these things, whether they gave me food or not. I would not cross that line. Matter of fact, it never happened. I wish it would or did. That person could come and give me a check for a million dollars and drop it into my hand. That still does not give me the license to enter. It is when and only when I hear those wonderful and sublime words, especially on a cold winter day, and I hear those words, come in. Only when I hear those words, come in, do I dare to cross the threshold into their house. Only on the conditionality of those words. And I come in. This is the metaphor and the analogy that Jesus uses. He wants to fill us. He wants to give us everything that we need to live a loving Christian life. But he stands at the threshold. You following me? 
Every single day, there is a certain line that Jesus will not cross because he respects your freedom of choice too much. He simply won't cross it. He won't go into us as spiritual vessels through his spirit. He won't go. He stands there every single day. And the most powerful, the most foundational, the most fundamental thing that we can do in our Christian experience, in our walk with God, is to come to him every single day and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come in. I want you to have access. And really, when you boil down to Christian experience, it really comes down to this foundational principle of consent. Look, you can't manufacture the fruits. You can't do these things. All we can do is invite him in, and believe it or not, even that power to invite Jesus in in is from Jesus. We can't even do that. So when we say, Lord, come in, Jesus then has permission to enter. And I think about my walk with Jesus. Every single day, He is at the threshold. And yet, I stand there sometimes and say, Hi, Jesus. Great knowing you. Smile. Engage, perhaps. But I never invite him in. And so Jesus waits with all of the resources all of the power, and everything that you need for that day. And he dares not cross the threshold until you give him the invitation to come inside. We are spiritual people. We are vessels. And friends, I don't know what you're dealing with. Maybe you have a temper. Maybe you have outbursts of wrath. Maybe you struggle with jealousy and envy and evil speaking and pride and selfishness. I mean, these are all part of the natural man, and you have been struggling with these things. Maybe you have an addiction that is tearing you apart. Maybe there's a habit in your life that is simply destroying you. And it can be discouraging. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has everything. Everything that you need. Won't you let him in? Amen? Won't you say, Lord, I want you inside. I want you inside. I need help. Desire of Ages. Oh, actually, it's not Desire of Ages. Review and Herald. He who is trying to reach heaven by his own works and keeping the law is attempting an impossibility. Man cannot be saved without obedience, but his work should not be of himself. Christ should work, look at this, in him to will and to do of his good pleasure. We can't be a loving person. We can't be a law-keeping individual. It is an impossibility. Jesus must be inside to work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. Last one, Desire of Ages 676, abiding in Christ means a constant receiving of his spirit 
a life of unreserved surrender to his service. How many of you are tired of being here? (laughs) I am. Of being a carnal Christian. Of being a Christian that is just in this quasi halfway divided position. And you want to say, Lord, I want to be spirit-filled. Because being spirit-filled means being filled with the presence of Jesus. Lord, I want the fruits of the Spirit in my life. How many of you want this? Amen? You're, you're so, I, I am tired of, of this, and I want this. And the beauty of it is Jesus is eagerly standing at the door to come in. Stand with me as we prepare to sing our closing hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. And I want to make an appeal this morning. If you are tired of being in this quasi place in your Christian experience and you want to say, Lord, I want you to come in. I want to be a spirit-filled Christian. I want you to work in me. I just want you to come inside me and be inside of me and be with me and be a spirit-filled Christian that has the love, joy, peace, and patience and self-control, all of the fruits, and say, Lord, I want to invite you in. I want to invite you to come forward for a special prayer at this time. You want to say, Lord, Fill me is my earnest plea. I'm coming down here because I need the Spirit today. If that is your desire, who cares what other people think? This is between you and God. Amen? Amen. This is between you and God. And you want to say, Lord Jesus, fill me is my earnest plea. Help me to be willing to be made willing As we sing this song, which is our prayer, I surrender all. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.